Hello and welcome to Bring Your Own Popcorn. Let us preach to your choir or stoke your ire as we spiral down memory lane with cult classics, Jurassics, and other genres that rhyme with traffic. What we lack in education, we make up for with comedy, compassion, and camaraderie. I'm your host, Mixtape Majesty, here today with a very special guest, a wonderful comedian, an amazing film student, my friend, Lauren Wong. Hello, this is my first podcast ever. Oh, hell yeah. So, looking forward to it. Honored to be the first podcast. Thank you for being here. You've selected a wonderful movie for us to talk about as your special feature film. But before we get into that, I'm going to ask you some background questions and get a sense of what kind of movie watcher you are. So starting with, what was the first movie that you remember seeing in theaters? I feel like watching going to the movie theaters is actually something I did more when I was younger so I actually don't remember the first one but when I try to reach back into like my younger memories I just remember a moment that felt significant to me and that was watching High School Musical 3 in theaters because like honestly I guess that was pretty wise of me as a child to be to like recognize the the importance of that because it's like a TV movie. It's DCOMs are not Disney features that go into theaters. So I was there. I was like, wow, High School Musical is so cool. They actually got to be in movie theaters instead of TV. And I just remember sitting in the theater, like <laughs> waiting to watch it. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. We're watching High School Musical, but in a movie theater. And yeah, that was very memorable for me. That is my first memory of a movie theater movie. <laughs> nice. Was that with you? Did you go with your parents or was it with friends? Yeah, that was with family because 2008, oh my God. Yeah, so I was eight years old. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Dang, I did not even remember it being that long ago. Crazy. Did High School Musical give you an unrealistic expectation for high school? Did it? (laughs) Honestly, but that's like literally every single American TV show because the first thing like is how all of them had lockers. Mm. And then in California, all the schools or like most of them are all outdoors. So like right away, I was like, this is wrong. This is not what they told us on TV. Yeah. Like, why am I not like applying makeup in front of a mini mirror in my locker? <laughs> and like magazines would give you, I don't know if you ever bought those teen magazines, like J14 and like Popstar and stuff, but they would give you like posters and then they'd give like mini locker posters. And I was like, oh. always get so hyped for the day I'd get to use them. And then it's like the only lockers we get are the tiny gym lockers. Oh, <laughs> Did you just post them all around your room instead? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the first one that you remember. What was the first one you remember seeing without any parents or adults? I did some technical math for this because I know I remember who it was with. I just don't remember the movie. The years, like who was I friends with during this time? So the movie (laughs) had to be released during this time. I think it was the Book of Life. I think I watched the Book of Life with these friends. Oh, is that like the animated one? Yeah, I like... Like, I didn't forget about that movie, but it's, like, not always at the front of my mind. And then I was like, whoa, this movie was so good. Why do people not talk about it more? And I guess because it's not Disney animation, so that's how it always goes. But it was the book of life, and the reason I remember it is because not only was it, like, without my parents, but it was, like, with boys. And I was like, wow, this is so crazy. (laughs) It wasn't even a date. It was, like, friends. I mean, I did have a crush on one of the guys, but the hangout was with friends. Mm -hmm. It was me, two guys, and then two other girls that I'm still friends with were supposed to come, but they couldn't. We could have just canceled it, but I was like, I guess I can still go. Like, it's crazy. I guess I'll still go with my crush. That's fine. (laughs) And this one's actually, I know, like, uh, since you guys are making me, I guess I have to offer (laughs) 
but um it's actually funny because my dad is psycho and like this moment is I mean it's a little bit he was he asked where the theater was because he was gonna go with my like younger cousins to like spy on me like as a joke but also like not joking if you actually do it so, yeah um, I lied to him about the theater and then they did end up going to the theater that I lied about and I'm like dang nice. like I didn't think you were actually gonna do it but good thing I lied to you because they have problems they have nothing better to do with their lives honestly oh man I love that I love that you lie even like you knew I was like I don't think they're gonna do it but just in case (laughs) did he call you out later he was like oh you know we were at the theater and we didn't see you there they texted they were like guess where we're at and I was like guess where I'm at not there (laughs) you look dumb now but um it wasn't like it was very much a half joking thing when you're like lol it wouldn't it be funny if I did this but Mm -hmm. then he did it so it's like please but then um I mean we needed a ride after so my dad picked us up and like got them in and out and everything it was very chill oh still glad I lied about it though yeah yeah I mean that sounds yeah it sounds very caring Uh, although I can imagine it's also annoying but (laughs) kind of sweet besides the stalking (laughs) for real it's like you're joking but also you did it (laughs) yeah yeah, I never got around to seeing the Book of Life, but it was produced by Guillermo del Toro. Oh, it was. Wow. Yeah. It was good. Yeah, you should see it. I'm I'm like saying it's good, but the thing is I don't even remember what it was completely about. <laughs> yeah. So it was good. I imagine especially seeing a movie like with a crush, like I've done I did that from time to time as a kid and yeah, then if I'm seeing it with a crush, I'm not thinking about the movie. Oh, <laughs> you're popular. You did it from time to time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Mine you was know. one time and that was the story and that's it. <laughs> oh. Well, I mean, I had a lot of crushes, so it was like I don't no, know. me too. I'm very much a self sabotager. <laughs> like, there's definitely a time where the guy I had a crush on was like, it was another group of friending, but they couldn't go. And then he was like, well, we could just go ourselves. And I'm like, no, it's fine. Aww. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, it is very anxiety inducing. Makes for good stories to look back at and laugh, though. Yes, very much. Yeah, I really need to watch this. Okay, so you don't remember anything about that. Is there a movie that you do remember seeing, like where you just went with friends and stuff and had that experience of like, oh, I'm independent? Probably when I saw a lot of like horror movies, like once I was finally old enough to go without adults, that's probably more memorable. Like I think one of them, two of us went to see Poltergeist and then two of us went to watch Aloha. Terrible movie as we all know. (laughs) Shout out to Emma Stone, Asian queen. But um, (laughs) It was Emma Stone, right? Am I mixing up names? Yes, yes, it was Emma Stone, who okay. played the half Chinese girl with blonde hair and blue eyes. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember maybe I would need to watch it again as an adult. It's like when you're younger, what you know about horror movies is it's supposed to be scary. And then also if there's a plot line, that's cool. But it was like, it's the it was the newer Poultry Guys, obviously, not the um, original. And like when we were watching it, we would just like laugh sometimes because it was so like, dumb and not funny (laughs) like I don't know what critics were saying about it at the time but like we definitely thought like how is this supposed to be a scary movie like is this supposed to be good it was not a good movie do you think it's is there like value to that though you think like is it still fun to see when it's bad if you're just like laughing at it or would you rather see something that was legitimately scary and good I would rather personally rather see something legitimately scary and good because like if I actually want to laugh then I'll find something that's intended to make you laugh but I will say there is still joy in laughing with friends not like by yourself like it definitely has to be with friends because it's like yeah it's like the fun of making fun of something together you mm-hmm. it's a bonding experience yeah that movie was definitely a bonding experience and 
Aloha wasn't good either. So when the t- four of us all reconjoined, it was just us talking about how bad the movies we watched were. <laughs> yeah. Bonding experience for sure. Totally. Yeah. I think that's one of the fun things about seeing a movie with like a group of friends or whatever is like whether the movie's good or bad, it can be a bonding experience. Exactly. Or you can actually see a good movie, you know. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Other than the movie that you selected for our feature film today, tell me about one of your favorite movies of all time and why it's one of your favorites. Okay, this is the one that I also wanted to suggest before I ended up going with Everything Everywhere at Once, and it's The Farewell, directed by Lulu Wang, starring Aquafina, another A24 film starring, mm-hmm. featuring Chinese-American family. And I mean, right off the bat, like just the script, that tells why I'm so like attached to it. Um, I mean, I should probably say for podcast listeners that I am Chinese-American. So that's why I like seeing the Chinese-American representation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of the things I've been thinking about lately is how I feel like Asian American API is really kind of its own culture in a way, because yeah, it's obviously what the movie even talks about is like the cultural dissonance between native born, native born Asians, and then Asians born in America, because it's about, or let me just do the quick about what the film is about. The grandma is, is diagnosed with stage five cancer. But in, in the Chinese culture, like you don't tell a dying person that they're going to die because you want them to enjoy the last few days of their life. Mm. But the thing is, half of the families in America, some are even in Japan, but like grandma's in China. So they have to come up with a way for all the family to come together and see her one last time, but like not in a suspicious way. And oh. also the main character, Aquafina's character, she's born in America. So her culture her um, societal views would align more with Western views. So she doesn't really understand the whole, why are we not telling her that she's going to die? So that's kind of what the whole movie is about is like, are they going to keep the secret and how are they going to keep the secret? And the main thing is they end up doing a fake wedding or it's, it's definitely a real wedding with the festivities, but it's like her cousin and his girlfriend that he just broke up with, but like (laughs) they pretend to get married so that they have an excuse for all the family to get together. Wow. And should I not spoil it? I shouldn't spoil it. I think I think you should spoil it spoilers coming (laughs) really okay so um in the end they don't tell her what happens it's it's a super duper I wouldn't even say bittersweet it's like it's just a real ending Mm. and the reason why this is one of my all-time favorite movies is I literally cried the whole time watching it just like for so many reasons there's like so many like obviously what's happening in the film but also it's like a feeling that I feel only marginalized communities can understand where it's like it's so cathartic to see representation on the screen and it's like not just at the bare minimum level when it's like they get all the nuances the family mealtime scenes and also Aquafina's character is a writer who has like a rocky relationship with her mom and like she loves the elders in her family and that was like I was like oh my god I'm also trying to be a writer why is this me (laughs) and then it's like because it's obviously written and directed by a Chinese American woman so like she gets it and she portrayed it really beautifully the ending is they don't tell the grandma she she doesn't find out in fact Aquafina there's a moment where some documents are about to be like given to the grandma by mistake that will tell her the truth and Aquafina like races to make sure that her grandma doesn't get that information so obviously and then she chose to keep that secret and honor the family's wishes and even though she doesn't want to they have to say goodbye one of the most heartbreaking shots for me like if I like just want to trigger crying you just think about the scene it's um them Aquafina and her mom 
driving away in the taxi cab and in the rearview window you see the grandma like waving her last goodbyes while they're still driving off and like she like collapses on her knees not from like sickness but just like she's sad like she's heartbroken that her she has to say goodbye to her family and I'm like oh my oh. god <laughs> like when I was watching the movie I was like am I on my period or something like why am I crying the whole time but like I've never watched that movie a second way all the way through just because literally just watching scenes of it I like start bawling that movie is so good and important to me but yeah that is my one of my all-time favorite movies yeah I can see why it it sounds amazing like the premise alone it sounds amazing yeah, and it sounds like the premise did, pulls you in yeah sounds like they did a great job I'm seeing that the the Chinese title of the movie is actually don't tell her which is great mm. <laughs> It sounds, yeah, I really want to see this. It sounds really good. A24 has, they've been doing it. I still need to watch Minari by them as well. That's what I really want to watch. Oh yeah, me too. I want to see that one. Yeah, I think it's it's so important for people to be able to tell their own stories because I think that's some a big mistake that Hollywood and other like big film companies in America have been making is like, oh, okay, you want diversity, you want representation. And then they have like white people telling other people's stories. You're like, oh, we did diversity. Like they put a person of color in a movie, but like you're not telling their story. You're telling. And it's it's just so glaringly obvious every time. Mm -hmm. It's like when it's done well, it gets praise. And then when it doesn't, it either gets roasted online or like people just brush over it because they're just used to not being represented properly. But it's like, Mm -hmm. it's not that hard to actually get proper representation. So what, what is going on? And it's like, are you not embarrassed when you put these scenes up and people are like, what is that? Like when they hire someone who doesn't even speak Spanish to play a Spanish speaking character. Like, I don't know if you've watched on my blog, but there was like a whole situation where they casted this white girl who played a girl who, a Mexican girl whose family just got deported. So obviously she would be fluent in Spanish. And she was not. And like, even people who don't know Spanish that well, were like, I don't know what she's saying, but it does not sound right. Why? And I mean, they actually did kill her off the show or not kill her off, but they did something to get her off the show. (laughs) But it's like, you guys just shouldn't have had her there in the first place. No. Why? So embarrassing. There's so many. Like, why would you have to have that one actress? Yeah, exactly. Goofy. So interesting. Hollywood. Yeah. And it's so important to recognize that we don't just need more stories being told we need more people telling stories so like we need more types of people telling stories not just like the same white people telling new stories no well I'm gonna definitely have to check that one out yes yes overall how would you describe your relationship with movies like I know you're a film student so I'd love to hear more about that but also yeah tell me about your relationship with film I mean yeah obviously film major so that means like that's what I'm trying to go into lately been having an existential crisis with the like mature adult brain where I'm like maybe I should have had a backup plan or something but this is where I'm at I'm specifically focusing on screenwriting I wouldn't say that's the only thing I'm interested in though like I'm definitely interested in directing acting editing like I'd say the only part I'm not interested in is being behind the camera because I have no talent for that (laughs) I have no I don't even have interest in it. Like when classes I've taken, I'm just been like bored. I'm like, you can take the camera. And I admire people who are good behind the camera. It's just not for me. That's the thing. Thing is though, I do prefer television. Like that's actually what I do prefer to go into, mm-hmm. which um, I didn't realize, but it is rare for film majors. Like everybody else who is a film major, it's film. Like that's what they're going into. But mm-hmm. obviously they don't have a TV major. So, but um, yeah, I've definitely always been into making movies. I was one of those kids who, definitely had too much 
too much access to uh, technology, like <laughs> at a younger age than I should have. Mm -hmm. So good and bad things, but like good, one of the good things I definitely got, it's very easy for me to like figure out tech. I would just use little old recording devices or camcorder back then. Or when the first iPhone came out, like I'd be making videos with my sisters and stuff. And that was the beauty of being the older sister is getting, and not just older sister, older cousin, I could like force everybody else to do whatever <laughs> I wanted. So it's like, if I wanted to make a video, I could, cause I just forced my little sisters to be in it. Yeah. And I mean, they enjoyed it sometimes, but um, <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'd be like, you better do it or else whatever reason I had when I was younger. Yeah. Did you write scripts or would you just like feed them their lines? Yeah, it would definitely be a feeding their lines thing, which is like, I've been thinking about that. When you're a kid, you always hear adults talking about how uh, I wish I still had my creativity when I was a child. And like, I'm like getting worried because I'm starting to feel that because I'm starting to get into blocks. And it's like when mm. I was a kid, it, the way I made movies wasn't by writing scripts. It was like I turned on the camera and then I would just be like, do this. Oh, you know, it'd be good. Let's do this next. And it <laughs> actually did come out as cohesive storylines, you know, mm. so it's like. I think because technology is so advanced though, even like low budget films still come out amazing. And that's why it's so hard for people to get into filmmaking because it's not just about low budget anymore or telling a good story. As much as people say you don't need the best equipment or whatever, like you still need access to like education, like to editing programs and everything. And I mean, I do have access to ed editing programs and education, obviously, but it's like when you have no connections to the film industry, you're really starting off at a blank slate. And mm -hmm. I'm glad that... I can tell that I for sure have been interested in film just because of what I did when I was younger. Definitely was that iPad kid before iPads existed, like just always in front of the TV screen or computer screen or like video game screen. So yeah, that is my connection with film, watching movies. Oh, and also like, I guess for a more personal tie, like watching movies instead of just making them long car rides with the family. I have three sisters, so family of six, that's like always in a minivan. My mom eventually upgraded, got some TVs in there. Like when you see, when you're driving behind a minivan and you just see the TV playing in there, that was like what we had as kids. Oh, also my aunt had an ex-boyfriend who used to work at Blockbuster, you know, long before everything, before Netflix took over, but yeah, he would burn DVDs for us, which like, Ooh. I mean... <laughs> not naming names about who it was but yeah he was very <laughs> nice so like I always had access to movies because it was free and we would have a lot of access to them so yeah movies definitely have been in my life a long time nice I love that and sort of the emphasis on storytelling I guess because you're saying that you you really would be interested in being involved in any aspect of filmmaking except for cinematography which is totally understandable because cinematography is not just about framing it's also about like doing fucking algebra <laughs> like math to make those like hollywood cameras yeah. work they're so intense and lighting too but i totally yeah, relate yeah. to that of just like the aspects that you listed that you're interested in are all like mm -hmm. the storytelling aspects less than oh. the technical aspects okay that is a good point that you made out <laughs> i mean i feel like every all my film teachers and stuff would argue that every part of filmmaking is part of telling the story. Yeah. But I guess you, what I did list is definitely like the more like direct storytelling. You're literally putting the story together. You're directing the story together. You're writing the actual story. But yeah, maybe yeah. maybe that is why I'm not interested in the camera side. <laughs> yeah, camera, but the camera work definitely is an art form. 
my, my brain's just not wired for that but I do get so impressed whenever I see people get a nice shot and like just not like what do all those things camera settings mean the amount of classes I've taken where they explain what aperture all this stuff means and mm -hmm. it just really goes through one ear out the other I don't remember any of that stuff so yeah can say that is definitely not for me <laughs> yeah same here I I was double majoring in film, but because of the pandemic, I ended up dropping it um, because you couldn't do in-person classes. So I was like, well, oh, this is pointless. Yeah. For real. <laughs> but yeah, same here. I, I, I love cinematography and I thought I'd be interested in it. But when I started like reading the like just gibberish, like the math yeah, gibberish exactly. of how the cameras work, I was like, oh no, literally, <laughs> this is not for me. <laughs> and I mean, that's how you know what you're interested in. Though when you're really interested in something, but somebody else is like, this is boring. That's how you know that mm -hmm. you like it. Totally. I'm sure that all the camera people are listening to us like, what are you talking about? Like switching out lenses is so cool. Like, <laughs> yes. I don't know. That's all you. Yes. And more power to you. But that's a really good positive spin on it. It is if yeah. like, if something isn't for you, that's actually good because then you're, you're figuring out what is for you, which is yeah, exactly. the best thing to do. Love it what is your what would you say your relationship is with like movie watching now like do you how often do you go to the movies or see <sighs> movies they're gonna make me expose myself <laughs> honestly ever since I got into k-pop it's like <laughs> it's literally a disease an addiction like I don't have time for other stuff and I mean like I said already I have I am more into tv than movies like if I'm not going to the theater to watch a new movie if it's like what's the difference between like an hour and a half movie and two episodes of an hour long show? But mm. for me, it is different. Like mm. I prefer the TV shows over the movies, but also I'm a big fan of, I mean, I just get attached to characters. So like, I like TV shows because you get to literally keep seeing the characters and grow with them. So I will say, I don't watch movies that much as people would expect a film major to. I consume other forms of media. I mean, television is still film industry, but yeah. I binge watched all the Marvel TV series so that I could finally watch Thor in the theaters with my friend. <laughs> but I, I watched Nope. That was the last movie I saw in theaters recently. Oh, yeah. I do need to get back into movie theaters. But like I said, I had to expose myself ever since I got into K-pop. It's like that's like at the forefront of my mind. <laughs> Honestly, once I graduate, I really am planning just going to drop it cold turkey. <laughs> it's going to be painful, but it's like I need to focus on other things in life. Like that really is what's happening right now. <laughs> guess so but like I don't know I I'm like envious of that because I'm not that passionate about anything right now and so the fact that you can be so passionate about something and just have something that continuously gives you joy like yeah maybe it's continuously giving you dopamine like an addiction but like I don't know that's it sounds kind of it makes me happy it makes you happy no yeah that's that's the reason why I can't get away from it because I'm like I could be more productive without it, but also like it does make me happy. So no harm in that, but, but a little bit of harm. But <laughs> no, I'm glad you pointed that out because that's exactly why I really got into K-pop. Because like before that, even before the pandemic happened, when I was, I mean, stand-up comedy, that was what my passion was before the um, pandemic hit. But even like music specifically, I was like super passionate about music in like middle school and stuff, listening to all these different types of artists and then One Direction stand. But after One Direction broke up, as I was graduating high school, I kind of lost a passion for music. Like when I was playing stuff on Spotify, it's just like just the new releases by the same artists I'd always listen to. And yeah, there's like the hit songs that I would sing along to, but there was no like, oh my God, I can't wait to listen to this whole album. 
like fangirl culture is fun like it's enjoyable because having passion for something is fun once I listened to specifically it was a song by Stray Kids called God's Menu like that literally like sparked my passion for music again since then like now I actually enjoy I'm telling you it was like three years probably two and a half years where I just listening to music was so like just not tedious but it was like just a passing thing it wasn't something I was having so much fun doing but yeah and then like I always say k-pop has something for everybody like even if I wasn't in for the music there's the editing and the music videos and the filmography and then if you're into dancing there's that if you're into acting there's acting as well if you're into just set design even there's like that if you're into fashion so it's it's yeah being passionate about something is definitely so important so yeah I'm glad you pointed that out because that is a big reason why I got really into it yeah and also the way that you're describing it is like the difference between listening to music by yourself and just enjoying it by yourself and then what you're describing which is like a community of different creative people like being part of a fan culture specifically like with k-pop the fan culture of K-pop versus the fans of like, I don't know, Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> like there's no, <laughs> there's no cohesion there. They're not like working together on Definitely. projects that I know about anyway. And so, yeah, like you're part of a community doing something that makes you happy. I can totally see why the draw. But I will say enjoying the music alone is is the big part of it because I wasn't even enjoying music alone before and now I am. So yeah, definitely pros and cons, pros and cons to everything. <laughs> I love that. So yeah, you mentioned, oh, what? (laughs) I said back to movies. (laughs) Well, almost, because you mentioned, you mentioned, I want to say almost every guest I've had for the past year has said that they kind of prefer TV over movies right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're not alone in that. Um, And there's like, there's all sorts of reasons for it. A lot of it has to do with the industry and the kind of movies that are being churned out lately and the way that it's changed with the studio system and blah, blah, blah. But one thing that it made me think of is I've gotten really into K-dramas mm. and I was like trying to pinpoint what's so different about not only or not only movies and TV, but K-dramas versus American TV, because I'm actually enjoying K-dramas more than American TV mm. now. Definitely. And I was like, what is it about them? It's like so different. And there's a lot of things. Yeah, one of the things, things. <laughs> one of the things is that most K-dramas are 16 episodes And it's basically like a 16 episode movie, like the way that the story is laid out in a, in a K drama, it's like back to back, like it's actually consecutive. Whereas a lot of American TV shows, it's like, oh, here's a random day in the life. Like character development. Let's see what crazy adventures, but yeah, K dramas, like they have a set story and they're sticking to it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. That's just on the, on the note of TV and, and movies, what kind of TV do you like watching? Honestly, I was a big K-drama viewer when I was younger. Like when I was talking about High School Musical 2008, like that's like the age I was watching K-dramas because my parents watched it and stuff. But um, then I fell out of it because I started consuming Western television. And it's not that I don't want to watch or I don't think I'd like K-dramas. The thing is, I know I like them. Like I said, I'm already addicted to K-pop. I do not, (laughs) I cannot afford another addiction. Like I know for a fact I would enjoy all the new K-dramas that have been coming out. But right now, I mean, actually, I've been watching TV shows for my classes. So that's what I've been watching. But besides that, on my free time, anime and sitcoms are really like my go-to. I was really into like those drama CW type shows and like Criminal Minds and all that stuff in middle and high school. But I think I'm at a point in my life where it's like, 
I know the bleakness of reality already like just give me escapism yes and like not even escapism in the form of vampires like they're still dealing with drama I need like we're just laughing we're just laughing we're having fun if they're they're fighting it's just because they're animated people they're not real people it's okay (laughs) I'm aware enough of reality that I don't need to see it on tv too so that's where I'm at everything is about escapism that's also why I'm into k-pop because I hate men (laughs) and people always argue you know that these k-pop boys like they're putting on an act and the thing is like I know that but (laughs) that it's like they're using you guys by like tricking you and I'm like but at the same time I'm using them I'm using them to fulfill my fantasy of a perfect man and like I know it's not real (laughs) but that's the beauty of it it's it's escapism escapism is an amazing concept that society has created for to escape (laughs) yeah Absolutely. And that is exactly how I feel about K-dramas too. Like it's, mm, it's absolutely definitely. an escape. Yeah. And, and these men, men are, are very like idealistic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about escapism and storytelling lately. Cause I, I mean, I feel like that's what storytelling has always been. Like, I bet you even back, you know, when all we had was like telling stories around the fire, it's storytelling is about hearing about another life, like being able to put yourself in the shoes of another life that you'll never actually live and we've just gotten all kinds of ways to to storytell now exactly so many ways tiktok is literally the newest one every social media platform before that it was youtube it's crazy like i really wonder what the next thing is gonna be you really never know (laughs) you remind me i was gonna say earlier i hope it's okay to say you mentioned making movies when you were a kid and your tiktoks are top notch like your tiktoks are very cinematic like they tell a story like yeah they're like really they're like really good (laughs) I feel like they're just vloggy or like basic. Yeah, but you have like really good like timing and editing and your narrations. I don't know. You're a really good storyteller. Thank you. Sure. I think you're (laughs) in the right place. Thank you. (laughs) So awkward. (laughs) Like my TikToks are like, like I have a YouTube channel too, but it it, it doesn't really get views. It's like, it really is just for me. So I guess that also where I do just enjoy storytelling just for the sake of it because it's like, if it blows up, that is very cool. But if not, like, I'm still going to keep posting because it's, like, fun. Yeah. But, yeah. Thank you, though. Yeah. Hell yeah. This is the space where the ads go. Welcome to the Phantom Jukebox. I'm Ty. And I'm Joe, and we're two musicians that dive into the world of music, its myths, conspiracies, and bizarre music history. We discuss things like, did Elvis fake his own death? Is Stevie Wonder really blind? Is Dolly Parton's husband actually real? Find out all that and more on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or your favorite streaming service. The Future The future is incredible and we are living it right now. We are living in a world where Darth Vader can Kamehama the Jonesy cat off of my back. The future, technology, it's amazing. I, for one, love it. And you know what's a new piece of technology I just heard about? It's called Newsly. It's an all-in-one audio super app for iOS and Android. It picks up most trending articles on the web on topics that you choose at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. The entire web becomes listenable for the first time, all in one place, Newsly. You can browse articles from topics you choose. Stop scrolling, start listening. 
You can follow any topic as specific as you like, from sports, tech, business, science, Bitcoin, or even the Kardashian. It will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. Oh, it's just like Daddy Technology reading you a bedtime story. Love it. And they have podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 80 countries. Our podcast, Bring Your Own Popcorn, is there too. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me. That's newsly.me or from the link in the description and use promo code OWNPOPCORN to receive one month free premium subscription. The future is now and it's beautiful. I'm Amber and I'm Maddie and, and we're, we're Witches Talking, Talking Tarot. Tarot and we've brought you a show all about the occult. We're talking different lores and mythology. Yes, creature features, cryptids, aliens, you name it, we'll cover it. Conspiracy theories. Absolutely. And pagan holidays and 100 percent All eight of them. Yes. Spiritual living, you yeah. name it. That's right. We've got it for you. So if you want, come sit with us for a spell and let us make you laugh. We are Witches Talking Tarot. Thanks, everybody. Okay, we're going to get into our feature film. The feature film that we are discussing today, Chosen by Lauren, was released earlier this year in 2022. This film was the second film from The Daniels. Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, who also made Swiss Army Man in 2016 and the iconic music video for Turn Down for What from DJ Snake and Lil Jon. The Daniels' latest film became A24 Production Company's highest grossing film to date. It was filmed in only 38 days, some of it with a pocket camera that Daniel Kwan carried around the streets filming everything he saw. The film had 500 visual effects shots that were mostly done by a small team of five people, which is a skeleton crew compared with the huge teams that movies this big usually have. The project was limited to a small crew due to its small budget of only $25 million, which is, it's a lot of money, but it's like small, very small for a movie. <laughs> I mean, for a multiverse movie, I guess. Yeah. But they turned out amazing special effects for this absurdist comedy drama sci-fi film. Many of the scenes were also done with practical effects rather than computer-generated effects, such as the infamous hot dog fingers and Rakakuni, the talking raccoon that controls a chef by sitting on his head. Filming for this movie finished literally the day before we all went into COVID lockdown in 2020, and it was released a year later to universal, much-deserved critical acclaim. We are talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. Lauren, thank you so much for choosing this movie. (laughs) It was such a treat to watch. To start us out, sort of an overview of the movie, and there will be spoilers if you're still listening this far. (laughs) Tell me, in your opinion, what are the most important things that happen in this movie? Plot-wise or like what I feel is the most important? I would say it's more about you. So I'd say what you feel is most important. The most 
important parts of the film are like the messages that people take away from it because it is very zany like this is one of the few situations where zany perfectly describes what this movie is it's very all over the place and all the synonyms of zany quirky kooky like that's what this movie is in like the best possible way like it's just so it's literally like a perfect movie like I see no flaws with it and it was just done so well but um I I'll just list all the plot lines that I felt like were really important. Obviously, there's the mother-daughter plot line. Definitely a, a movie um, trope that is underutilized in Hollywood, the mother-daughter. That's why Lady Bird was so big, because people were like, oh my gosh, mother-daughter. And then there's also between husband and wife, differences in everything, like point of view. And then the big one, like the big one is definitely talking about I guess like existentialism like what is the point of anything when we are literally specks of nothing there is no purpose like why are we doing why do we care so much about anything we should just like not be nice and we should just poop on things and just whatever because who cares but it's like but then it turns around because it's like no like even if there's beauty in the meaninglessness there's beauty in it's about like finding contentness with where you are like you're where you are for a reason and you know, there's, there's always, it's not even just little things. It's like, even the little things are big things. If we just change our perspective, that's what the movie is really about. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. That's a perfect encapsulation, encapsulation of the film for anyone who hasn't seen it. Can you give a brief summary of the plot points? Yes. And including or not including spoilers, including includes. Yeah. Well, another thing about this movie that's rare is that the main lead is 40 50 year old a middle-aged woman basically Mm -hmm. and that's not a common movie lead so right off the bat it's pretty unique in that sense also starring Chinese American family like I said so that's it that's a big factor actually it affects a lot of the scenes and the relationships between the characters but um essentially the main character Evelyn Evelyn, um she needs to save the multiverse from the super villain who's basically killing off like every single universe within the multiverse jobu tupaki and um you know before she's thrown into this life she's just a regular um woman running a laundry or like run down laundromat with her husband and struggling to do her taxes and then suddenly her husband from another universe teleports into her current husband and they which is what they call verse jumping, when you jump into the body of your counterpart in another universe. So she's thrown into this whole situation where she has to save the multiverse. And obviously she's not down for it. Like, she's like, what the heck? I did not, like, I'm just trying to get my taxes done. Like, what is going on? (laughs) And like, at the same time this is happening, she also finds out her husband wants a divorce from her. So there's a whole lot going on with that. And at the same time, she has to take care of her father who's sickly and visiting from China who she hasn't seen in forever because he basically disowned her when she left for America with her current husband. And last one is her daughter who is a part of the LGBTQ community. And she's, that's just one of the many things that she has disagreements with her daughter about. And, you know, typical mother-daughter have having issues, especially with cultural differences. And the plot twist is that Jobu Tupaki is her daughter from another multiverse. So now not only is she like having to save the multiverse, she has to save it from her daughter. And that makes things a lot harder. And meanwhile, while she's doing this, she's verse jumping. She's seeing her life in other universes, which makes her so like 
bitter about her current life. She was like, oh my gosh, in another world, I'm literally a movie star. I'm like a master at martial arts. And here I'm just stuck with my useless husband doing stupid taxes and a stupid laundromat. Like I should have listened to my dad and like whole existential crisis while she's jumping through all these universes. And eventually, you know, her mind breaks. She's like, she's, she's seen every possible universe. And that's where the title comes from. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Because now her brain is literally experiencing every universe all at once, which is like the way they visualize it in the film is so crazy too. Like while I have it rented, I want to just like pause and see like every single cut of every universe, like including hot dog universe, like um, Aubrey mentioned, which is so genius, like amazing. Yeah, her mind breaks. And then she's at a point where she's like, wow, the universe is meaningless. And in every single universe, she's kind of sabotaging it. There's a Rakakuni universe, which is like Ratatouille, but with raccoons, she sabotages Rakakuni and gets him taken away. She breaks the laundromat windows because she just doesn't care anymore. Like she's basically, basically sociopathic behavior. That's what she's exhibiting, like not having a single care at all. And that's basically what Jobu Tupaki, her daughter in the other universe is experiencing. Then we realized Jobu Tupaki wasn't trying to just destroy the universe. She just wanted to create somebody just like her. And she found that in this Evelyn. Now there are two people with completely fractured minds who see that there is no point in life because look at all these universes. Even one small thing creates a difference. And like your point, it doesn't matter because there's going to be another you out there doing something like life is meaningless. We're all just little bits of dust. And all those little bits of dust get turned into a black hole in the form of an everything bagel created by Jobu Tupaki. And Jobu Tupaki invented that so that she could destroy herself essentially. Cause like she's sick of living like this. Like if life is meaningless, then why am I here? So she's essentially trying to destroy herself, but she didn't want to do it alone. And that's why she found Evelyn. But in the end, there's like a small moment with my favorite character, Waymond, mm-hmm. even after getting stabbed by the sociopathic mind broken Evelyn, he just like still protects her from all the other multiverse people trying to stop her. And he is like his whole speech about like, why can't we all just be kind? Like, why do we need to fight? Like, oh my gosh, like he's my favorite <laughs> character. He is just so mm-hmm. like cute. Like he is the ray of sunshine that Evelyn and I'll call her Joy now because that's the daughter's name. Um, Evelyn and Joy needed. And while Joy's still like cynical, that's what Evelyn needed to like snap back into like, wait, life isn't meaningless. Like it doesn't matter if there's other universes. There is beauty in just caring about the people around us and finding beauty and the things that make us happy. Mm -hmm. And then it culminates in the way that she, it's like all this is happening simultaneously in all the universes, like every Evelyn every Evelyn, but they're all still just one Evelyn, but they're all different Evelyns. Basically, she's finding this out and she's trying to, now she fights like women fights. Instead of fighting with violence, she just fights killing with kindness. That's basically what she's doing. (laughs) She's killing with kindness. And um, that's how she gets joy back. And the whole fight is like a parallel between pulling her away from the bagel and also the first universe Evelyn making sure that her daughter like stopping her daughter from running away or like leaving again and confronting the real problems like yes we have our differences yes the world sucks but at least we have each other and that's like the cute little ending and the whole point of the movie like Evelyn was Mm -hmm. so disgusted with all these other universes but then she realized like 
you can still be happy. Oh, that was the one thing. It's like, even in a world where our hands are hot dogs, I'm like paraphrasing, we yeah. learn, we get really good with our feet. It's like, there's always, <laughs> look at it from a different perspective, basically. That's really yeah. what it, kind of long description, but it's like so much is happening in that movie. Like I didn't even yeah. cover everything, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that was great. Two things that I wanted to highlight that I really like is one, there's a thing that they, that Alpha Wayman, I think yes. says to Evelyn, which is that like, you're basically the worst Evelyn. Yeah. <laughs> you're the most failed yeah. Evelyn. she was like what no she literally says like what's so special about me and he's like exactly there's nothing special about you that's exactly why and she's like which, what the hell which I love because it's like she's the hero of the story she's the main yeah. character and she's a hero and and what's special about her nothing exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. that's great that's that's basically yeah one of the the big like messages like everybody's still special even if you think you're not special kind of yeah, even someone who thinks they're nobody can be somebody to yes. someone. Yes. And then along that same line, I just love that they made Joy's character, they made her name Joy because it it made all yes. these like great lines where it sounded so like they're actually talking about, you know, finding joy. You have to be kind to like get joy back. Exactly. <laughs> like, like that was definitely intentional and it was genius. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, just a just a phenomenal movie one of those movies where when it's over you just like are staring into space for literally a long time. <laughs> like in all like how did somebody create something this amazing and, yeah and they only filmed it in 38 days like <laughs> I'm just like the Daniels are amazing <laughs> well that's one thing that people had beef with they were like you're telling me this amazing mother-daughter film was written by two men? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think they they definitely consulted people. And I know that Daniel Kwan was definitely like consulting his fiance for some things because I watched a like behind the scenes thing and it sounds like she definitely had a hand. I don't know if she's credited or anything, but it sounds like they do a good job of listening to the women in their lives, which is an important skill. Definitely. Very important not difficult but some people find it difficult for some reason mm -hmm. for some reason <laughs> uh tell me about the first time that you saw this movie where with who and what was that like this is a story my first time well let me first preface the first time I saw the trailer was on twitter because film people like to just post trailers on twitter and be like well, look at this movie that's coming out and then mm -hmm. I saw that and I like dm'd it to my friends who are also like fans and I was like oh my god can't wait like this is crazy and Michelle Yeoh first of all in a multiverse movie like crazy but honestly I didn't really see much hype for it besides like from other API or like movie buffs but um yeah it was now it's like everybody's talking about it but um when the trailer first came out it was just like not a small but like a smaller subset of people who were looking forward to it so I went to UCI for one year and my friends I transferred out but um, my friends still go there and the good thing about college is sometimes they offer opportunities. And what happened was they were giving out for UCI students. If you signed up on time, you could get free entrance into a, a screening of every of everything everywhere all at once. And then oh, cool. my friend sent that to me and I was like, oh my God, let's go. Like, I still have my UCI email, so I'm going to sign up. Sweet. And we did that. We signed up. We went there. Um, I didn't dress up like in anything crazy because you're watching a movie, but also I like to dress up. So I still was like in a cute-ish outfit. This is important for what I'm going to say for this. <laughs> okay. 
but yeah, so it was like free screening. Even in the email, they were like, the dress code is formal, casual. So first of all, what is that? What is that? You're mixing two words that don't match. So I was like, I guess black jean, dark jeans, but I'll wear like a nice cardigan and a beret. Like that was my outfit, like formal casual. So it's like, cause it's like a screening, but it's not like a big event, but it's like, you know, the movie just like, this is the day the movie's coming out. So you're going to see the screening. Um, tricked us. It wasn't a regular screening. It was the LA premiere. So people are there oh literally like dressed to the nines. And I was like, what the F? Oh. Why did they lie to us? This is not formal. <laughs> And the thing is, what we think is they changed it to a premiere last minute. Like there were screenings all over LA. They must have just chose ours to make the premiere last minute or something because they did not advertise it to us, to like the UPI students as a premiere at all. And we were like, we want to see the movie. Let's go. I was pissed because, I mean, I'm sure you already, I like to dress up. Yeah. And I don't, I prefer to be overdressed and underdressed. And luckily, Mm -hmm. obviously, we weren't the only people who were dressed like normal because other people didn't know it was a freaking LA movie premiere either. Yeah. But um, at least I still looked not bummy, at least. At least I didn't show up in like, I don't know, sweatpants and a t-shirt. Like I still had a decent outfit on. But yeah, I'm, I'm just, a, that's a small thing. I'm just gonna be pissed about it forever. Like if I knew I, I was gonna go to the LA premiere, I would have, I would have worn something a little better. For real. Yeah, because I can, I can tell the listeners like you have iconic fashion sense and I've seen like your pictures from when you go to like K-pop shows and everything and like don't people like ask to take pictures with you because your fashion no, no, is so no. great no, no, no. I think I think <laughs> it's a normal thing to dress up at K-pop concerts but mm. yeah I do like to be extra clothing is a fashion of mine <laughs> they did you dirty but yeah so yeah they did me so dirty like because <laughs> I mean even if it wasn't a premiere like really what is formal casual they already like messed up everybody by putting that in the byline that's no idea what that means two different words anyways yeah so we went there and because it's the LA premiere obviously a bunch of Asian Hollywood is there unfortunately for me my phone was dead so I couldn't take pictures but lucky <laughs> for me my friend's phone was working and also lucky for him because he does not have this knowledge of Asian Hollywood like I do. Like since I was, I think that's the reason why compared to other, not all, but like, I mean, every POC community in in America, like they have people who struggled with their identity and like their place. I feel like the reason I had less of like a crisis with my Asian identity is because I consumed so much Asian media and Asian American media growing up. So it's like, even if TV didn't have representation, I was like seeking it out myself. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I knew all these people that were, I was like, oh my God, that's the guy from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. That's a guy who's always in Wong Fu Productions videos. Like <laughs> it's literally, literally a, a guy who's just in a lot of YouTube videos and I recognize him. So like for my friend, he was like, I have no idea who these people are. But for me, I was like, because it's not like a big Hollywood movie premiere where it's like walking a red carpet. It's like a tiny little red carpet for photo ops, but everybody all sits in the same theater. So it's like, they're literally all mingling. And I'm like, there's freaking Daniel Destin who directed like um, Shang-Chi and stuff. And like, it's like, I'm just seeing all these people. And let me mention this other part about before we went to theater. Timing was just so perfect because I came a little late not like too late to see it, but like, you know, if you're going to line up for something, you want to be there to actually line up, not while the line's already moving. So my friend already got a seat ticket. She told the girl and she said she would save it for me. Obviously she didn't because, you know, as soon as tickets started running out, she gave mine away. So then I wouldn't have the seat next to him. So like we went over and was like, oh, we don't want to sit separate. Can we get new tickets? And then she was like, oh, there's only balcony left. And we were like, frick, because that's general admission and that's not like close, but we were like, we'll take it. But then- Mm -hmm they started bringing out new tickets. 
And those are like, you know, when people didn't show up. So now we have these tickets available. So luckily we were right there when it happened. And, and you know, the guy who's doing it is so busy. He's not going to like question twice, but also like, why would he say no anyways? It was just, my friend, was, I was like, ask him if we could take those. And he was like, can we take those tickets instead? And the guy was like, oh, sure, here. And then we took them. <laughs> they were aisle seats in like 10th row center of the theater. Oh my God. Like, yeah, it, it was just so much luck happening besides the outfit. But I'm um, like, yeah. Yeah, so we're just sitting there and I'm in awe just looking around like, oh my God, look at all these people and I know who they are and I want to be with them one day. <laughs> but like, yeah. It was just so crazy. And then then we saw a, an alum from a sketch comedy club I was part of and we're like, oh my God, why is he here too? <laughs> Before the movie starts, obviously they preface it and how do they start it? They have the cast and the directors come <gasps> on stage. So there's, oh unfortunately, Michelle Yeoh couldn't be there because she had COVID. But like, oh. there's the directors, there's Harry Shum Jr., there's Stephanie Stu, there's um, Kihui Khan, there's James Hong, like all of them are up there. Oh and there, and Jamie Lee Curtis was there. Jamie Lee Curtis, I really, for, I really, um, it's because she's a white woman that I really respect her for how much she's promoted the movie. Like, <laughs> um, like she loves this movie. Like, she mm-hmm. was posting it more than some of the other characters, honestly. <laughs> like, she freaking and I'm like valid she's right she's right yeah but yeah but like it's just like she's such a big star and I respect her for how much she promoted the movie Mm -hmm. but yeah and then when they walked off the stage they went down the aisle we were sitting on and like I said we had aisle seats so it was crazy like you can't fangirl at a premiere so like yeah I was I still want to show my appreciation so like as they're walking past I'm just like (laughs) clapping small and then James (laughs) Hong looks at me and he's like and I'm like oh like you could have waved at anybody but he waved at me so are you gonna hire me now or something um that didn't happen unfortunately but um yeah so like when he waved at me I was like oh oh my god oh my god (laughs) it's like bad part he got me too hyped too excited so when Stephanie C walks by I go hi Stephanie like (laughs) you're not supposed to do that like and this is how you really know you're not supposed to do that she the way she looked at me this was her exact look hi it was a look of I guess I know you but I can't think of it but I'm moving right now so I'm just gonna pretend yeah so and then me and my friend after that happened we were like okay she thought I knew her that is so funny like Stephanie we can we can know each other if we want like we can make that happen but like love it yeah thinking I'm just gonna go out and see a movie with my friend turns into a whole LA premiere seeing all of Asian Hollywood and then yeah seeing all the stars and interacting with them and then at the end, I'll get into like my experience watching the movie after <laughs> at the end of the movie, we like go out and we want to take pictures and I'm standing next to this older Asian couple. Then I see, you'll recognize them as the dildo guys. They're actually mm. brothers in real life. And oh, nice. So like they start walking our direction and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, what's happening? And then it turns out we were standing right next to their parents and I'm like, wow, Aww. this is crazy. And you know, it's actually crazy. Um, because the the red haired one specifically, he was also in Shang Chi. Oh, you know. So I went to KCon recently. Mm-hmm. I saw him at KCon twice. Oh, I didn't say anything, but like I was like, this is so weird. Like, why do I keep <laughs> running into you? Yeah, I I don't remember where it was, but I saw him somewhere else too. It's like at one point, eventually, I need I should say hi and ask for a picture or something because it's like the universe wants me to get a picture with him or something or network maybe. If this was a K drama, it means that you guys are soulmates. <laughs> Um, I think the age gap is a little different. <laughs> oh, okay. But, Never mind. Um, I mean, it could be platonic soulmates, possibly. <laughs> Anyways, so actually watching the movie, one of me and my friend's biggest regrets is not giving it a standing ovation. Because mm. it's like, well, also, like, we were, like, 
all these stars around we weren't going to be the ones to start the standing ovation but that movie deserved a standing ovation oh my goodness mm. and we didn't tell each other until after we were both like I think he said first like I wanted to give standing ovation and I was like oh my god I did too and <laughs> if we just told each other we probably would have done it so yeah I don't know next big movie that we go to the premiere for out of nowhere luckily but yeah. yeah my first time watching the movie was definitely so the first time watching the movie I was just in awe like first just I loved the cultural representation because um one thing that was really unique that you wouldn't know unless you know is that um they spoke both Mandarin and Cantonese mm. and Mandarin is usually like the default because it's considered the main land language and whatever but I mean cultural history Cantonese did come first and it was the first language before Mandarin for political reasons took over but um my family's Cantonese speaking so that's why it's like I get excited when I see Cantonese that isn't in like a Hong Kong movie and it was unique because Evelyn and Wayman spoke Mandarin to each other and um, she would speak Mandarin with her daughter her Wayman would speak Mandarin with Gong Gong who is the dad but Evelyn and her dad spoke Cantonese to each other and that was like so real because it's like my I personally don't experience that because everybody in my family speaks Cantonese and married into Cantonese families but like I know other families like that's real like this generation speaks Cantonese, but more people speak Mandarin, so they'll speak Mandarin with other people, but, like, within the family, they're speaking Cantonese, and I, and that was just, like, a small, like, they didn't need to include that detail, but they did, and I felt, like, that already made it, like, so realistic in one way, but that, that was one thing that stood out when I watched the movie, because I was like, wait, I understand what he's saying, even though the rest of them are speaking Mandarin, so yeah, my first time watching the movie was so, like, uh, this, the way that film majors watch movies, just in all, I was like, how did they come up with that? Like, I would say that was the most inspired I'd been in a long time. Like, I was like, dang, I need to step up my writing game. I need to like learn. I need, I have so much more to learn. Like, I, like, how did they come up with, that goes back to childhood creativity, like hot dog fingers, raccoonie. Like, it's so stupid that it's genius. And like, it was like, and the way that, like, how did you write in the script switching between all these different multiverses? How did you come up with, everything everything in there and then in addition the cinematography like I mean all A24 movies that's like the big thing about A24 they always got the good cinematography so like that and then obviously the Michelle Yeoh um that whole super fast cutscene where she's literally flipping through every single multiverse and like that's why you need to watch it more than once because that scene you'll like see a new thing every time because it's like flipping Mm -hmm. so fast and at the end of the movie yeah I was just and I was like this is a masterpiece like how did somebody write this direct it edit it create it like it's that was my first thing when I watched the movie I was just inspired I was so inspired every time I've like told people to watch it or brought them to watch after they literally like at least one of them will come out and be like that's my new favorite movie because it's such (laughs) a good movie Mm -hmm. that so yeah that was my crazy first time watching the movie I love it that is that is so freaking cool and this was you were living in LA yeah, That's... this was in, what theater was it? It was, I think it was Ace Hotel Theater, Theater Ace mm-hmm. Hotel or something. But yeah, it's, I mean, because you know how all of the LA theaters are just like refurbished theaters from like back then. Mm-hmm. They're all very historical looking, kind of like Crest Theater in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Like they just all have the old school vibes. So it makes it perfect for a premiere. So yeah. Yeah, nice. What a what a good deal. So how would you say, how would you say that this, you kind of have touched on this, but how would you say that this movie has changed or affected your life? Before I get into that, can I talk about my other 
screenings of the movie? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So first time screening at the premiere and my experience was just admiring the artistry of it. My second time, I will say I felt the emotion more because that the movie is at like it's crazy multiverse, but it's emotional too. Like that's at the heart of it. But because I'm a film major, like my brain was just on like, how did they do all this in the first time? So the second time I was able to lean into the emotion more. And I'll just like go through this one super quick, but that one was at a QA screening at University mm. Walk that I took my friends and Finn Wolfhard was moderating for some reason. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis was there and she gave away hot dog fingers. Oh my God. The Q&A was just supposed to be Kiwi Khan, but then surprise, Michelle Yeoh shows up. Oh my God. And that was insane. Like she literally was walking like two rows in front of me, waving at everybody. Oh my and gosh. I was like, yeah, that was wow. crazy. But don't need to go into that. That's all you, it was just crazy. Like I, I, this movie is like following me everywhere. I don't know. <laughs> my second time, I was able to lean into the motion a little more. And then my third time, I watched it a few days ago to prepare for this podcast. And I've been meaning to watch it a third time anyways. It's just like, like I said, I'm a TV person. Unless I go to the theater, it's really hard to make me watch a movie. But I did it. And this time, I let myself sink and feel all the feelings. And I did like, I didn't cry as much as I did with The Farewell, because it's not as emotional of a movie as The Farewell, obviously. But like, I cried a lot. Like, so many parts mm-hmm. and yeah and I, we can talk about that later probably but now I will answer your question about how it changed or affected my life <laughs> yeah like I said made me like I really want to be that honestly part of me is like I don't know if I can ever be that good because that's a perfect movie like how do you you can't replicate that but like yeah. I'd like to at least be better than where I'm at now so it really did that and one big thing about me in my writing personally I would say one of my biggest film inspirations is Jordan Peele just because he I feel like he did comedy and now he's doing film and I'm like that's my like I want to be good at comedy and film and that's what he is so and also his thing is he always cast black leads because he said because I want to that's what I'm gonna do and I'm like as you should and that's kind of like my thing like when I write scripts it's always Asian lead and I mean that makes more sense too why I wouldn't know the perspective of another person so I should be myself I mean yeah I feel like I did answer this question with everything else I said I was saying to you like I want to be part of that like Asian Hollywood inner circle and then also like obviously expand it because it's like I knew everybody because there's not that many people to know like who how hard is it for me to know them if I'm looking for them right and then I feel like unfortunately though a lot of Asian Hollywood is filled with boba liberals you know that term (laughs) I don't but it sounds great I mean, it's another thing where it's like, I'm sure every community has their version of it, but like for Asian people, it's like, mm. it's basically the bare minimum leftism. Like you just say like, oh, I'm not homophobic or I'm not racist, but it's like, there's so much more beyond that. You need to do some more education. And I feel like a lot of, like, it's not completely their fault. It's like kind of almost everyone in Hollywood is an airhead because they're in that bubble. Like you're in a bubble mm. where everybody praises you. So like, I guess we could be grateful that they're at least on left instead of the other side, but it's like, it's like you're influencing, you have such a platform, but you're so uneducated. It would be so much nicer if you could know more. So that's another thing. Like if I was part of Asian Hollywood, I would hope that I'd be able to, cause I've actually heard, I wouldn't say it here, obviously, but like, even though I'm not in the industry, I've luckily like made friends who are in it or know people that are in it and they have stories and it's like including Asian Hollywood and it's like disappointing because it's like you guys are one of the few representations we have and it's it's not a privilege but Hollywood will treat our existence in Hollywood as a privilege so it's like 
you need to be better if you want more of us to be in there kind of yeah yeah so yeah that's another thing but on the positive I do also want to learn from it because like I said I'm still young so like everybody in Hollywood or not everybody but like a lot of them are like older like Aquafina, Shang Simulio like all the big Asian American names I there's definitely so much that I could learn from them and not even them like Daniel Kwan like the actual writer directors like behind the camera I don't know if there's like a way I just need to I need to inch my way into that Asian Hollywood inner circle just to like learn from it like there's there's because they would know better than me about like breaking into the industry despite any barriers or anything or Asian community calls it the bamboo ceiling so yeah (laughs) um like I said it just really inspired me and inspired me creatively and then also inspired me in terms of my goals and hopes for the Asian American community in Hollywood. But yeah, that that is how it changed and affected me. I love that. And even as someone like I'm half white, half Latina, but even not coming from like a background that can relate directly to all the unique cultural aspects of the film, it still was like equally inspiring to me in in both ways of both inspiring creatively like just an amazing work of art and like you were talking about the technical aspects and everything and then also just inspiring about like life like it's one of those movies that just makes you feel better about being like alive (laughs) no definitely I was watching it when I first watched it I I never usually do this but unless I'm like going to the bathroom I won't like pause it but I paused it to like break the fourth wall for a little bit because I wanted to screenshot the <laughs> shot of the rocks when they are rocks. Yes. <laughs> and I made such... that my wallpaper while I was still watching the movie. <laughs> oh my God. No, literally that scene is like, it's another thing where it's like, so this movie somehow makes every stupid moment so emotional. And I mean, I guess that's their point. Like even the stupid things, like there's meaning in everything. You just have to find it. Yeah. Who would have ever thought that you would cry at the line at someone saying sucked into a bagel and that would make you cry? Literally. Why are, it's like you're crying. It's such a cathartic experience, the crying while laughing. It's like you're sobbing like, oh my gosh, I hope you guys make up. And then all of a sudden there's her on his, on his shoulders, controlling him to get Rakakuni back. Like, and then you're like, oh my gosh, like you should talk to your mom. And then all of a sudden there's like hot dog fingers flapping against their thighs, running against each other. But also it's like, that's also beautiful. Like, oh, look at them getting their relationship back together. It's like, mm-hmm. this movie's kind of disrespectful. Like, why are you playing with my emotions like this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. <clears throat> well, we're getting to the end here. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to say to people about this movie or to convince anyone to see it if they're not convinced yet? I mean, I feel like we were pretty convincing. Like, I think so. There's always, I mean, I, there's other things that I just wanted to talk about. I made a list of like the quotes that were really stand out and really made people feel things like not just me, but people online too. Yeah. One of them is when she asked her dad, these are all paraphrased. I didn't write the exact quotes, but like when she asked her dad, like, how come it was so easy for you to leave me behind? And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't even relate to that. Like, that's not even a feeling that I've experienced or at least not on that grand of a scale where it's like parents disowning, but like. I like you could feel because it's like she's going through the same thing where it's like she can't leave her daughter so how did her dad do it so easily and it's like so heartbreaking and then the other romance on the romantic side there's in the movie theater universe the movie star universe where um, Wayman tells her like in another universe I would have been happy just doing taxes and laundry with you 
and like everyone loves that line because they're like yeah it's so romantic and it is because it's like his character has it all but also like you see the downside it's like he had to give up the part of himself that was so optimistic that was so happy-go-lucky to become this man that is successful so it's like yeah there's positives but also like what did he have to sacrifice for it so like in another universe he would have been happy mm-hmm. and then like I said Wayman's whole speech that makes me like choke up every time is literally his whole like why can't we all just be kind because like I personally don't think I could be a nicer person but it's like that's why I love nice people so much because I it's so hard for me no not like not just that sounds so bad it's like, <laughs> it's like it's like the world is so like messed up how are you how you are like it I really admire my friends who are just the nicest people ever and like I mean, I guess that was also the balance where they're like, that's why you need the balance. Like Evelyn needs Wayman mm-hmm. as much as Wayman needs Evelyn because he needs someone to like be the heavy backbone because he would just get stepped all over without her. But she needs mm-hmm. somebody to be like the nice side. And I forgot who said, one of the characters was talking about how they're useless. And then I think it was Evelyn who said, yeah, we're all useless alone. It's a good thing you're not alone. We need other people. That's what it is. And mm-hmm. also the line, I'm like forgetting who said what, but there's also the line that's like, you're not unlovable. There's always something to love. And that's the writing was just so good because it captured the essence of the movie and just these simple lines to each other. That is my ending. Like, even if you don't feel the emotions, you'll have a blast watching the movie because of all the fun multiverse universes. Like there, you'll find something to like about the movie. Even if you don't like a bunch of it, there'll be one part, but I doubt that you won't be there's That's like not possible unless you're like dumb, no offense. But like, yeah, <laughs> this movie is just so good. Yeah. And just like what you just said about that quote, like there's something, there's always something to love. This movie definitely has that. It has everything. Everything. (laughs) Won't even think of. (laughs) Cool. Well, this has been a wonderful discussion about everything, everywhere, all at once. If people would like to find you and your work or anything like that, where can they find you online? I guess the only place where I do creative stuff would be TikTok. Currently, username is RagerBaby, Rager, R-A-G-E-R-B-B-Y. My younger sister helped me out with that. <laughs> and yeah, that I'll say that's that's the only place right now. You can follow me on Instagram too, Lauren Wong, but not as much creative stuff on there. Any upcoming projects to plug? I wish I could say yes, but no. <laughs> I'm in school. That is my project. My project is getting this last year over, and then maybe I will have actual projects. Hell yeah. School is an important project, and you know, just keep Googling Lauren Wong every few years, and she'll pop up on IMDb eventually. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, thanks so much for being on. This was so fun. Thank you for giving me a chance to talk about the movie. <laughs> Absolutely. And remember, everyone, Bring your own popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> we did it. Okay. Sucked. Into a bagel.